the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome. Good to be with you. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and it's what you need to know today. If you're watching on Periscope, we just went through a little prayer request I mentioned. I'll tell you later on the radio here, but we have so much to cover, and a lot of our uh, issues uh, that are facing the nation uh, are getting a little clearer. You know, last few weeks I've been complaining. We didn't quite know what was happening. They're getting a little bit clearer. We're starting to understand what's happening a little bit better. Doesn't mean it's over. Doesn't mean it's easy. But I think it means we, as we get more information, we can understand what's going to happen and feel a little bit better about that. So we'll look forward to that. we got some great guests today on the radio show. Don't forget, go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com to follow along. But here's what you need to know today. What you need to know today is that earlier today... We had Bernie Sanders drop out for the second consecutive time. Bernie Sanders dropped out of a presidential race when if he wanted to, he could go to the mat and go to the end and make a difference. And I have to say at this point, you know, I wonder about Bernie because I know after the last time he went to the uh, to the to the sort of finals with Hillary and then quit, he made a bunch of money, he made four or five million dollars. I think it was maybe a little less, but he bought a book deal and he built up this following and all. But he's in his you know mid 70s now. He's not going to get more shots at the presidency. And he seemed to be a true believer. You know, I've been saying for a long time that if you, you know, they're not the same, but when you watch what Trump did in the Republican primary and watch what Bernie Sanders did to the uh, to the base of the Democrat Party, there was a certain connectivity. There's a certain way to see them and to understand that, that how they fit together. It's not they're not the same at all. Actually, they're very different, but they're, they're, they had a certain uh, movement quality. So the fact that Bernie Sanders quit again. It surprised me. It surprised me because he does seem like a true believer. And so he quit. So what you need to know is now it was a choice. There was a choice. There was a choice. Bernie Sanders was a choice, not an echo of the past. He was a choice. He was a new choice for the Democrats. By the way, I don't agree with him on almost anything. But for the Democrats, he was a choice. He was their chance to pick something new. Bernie Sanders was a choice, not an echo in the Democratic primary. The echo is Joe Biden. He's the echo of past failures. He's the echo of past policies. He's the echo of past uh, shifting positions. He's the echo of the past 50 years. He is no more a choice, a directional choice for the Democrats than, you know, I am. I mean, for the Democrats. It just doesn't make sense. So in this primary, what you had was a choice and an echo. You have a choice and an echo. And now, because of the power of the establishment, because of the power of the Democrat Party, and I think because Bernie just didn't want to keep going, you've seen him drop out. And so now the Democrat Party is stuck with, have you seen the videos? I mean, he's, he's yesterday, uh, Joe Biden was on Chris Cuomo's show. Chris Cuomo's in the basement of his home with coronavirus. Joe Biden's in the basement of his home. You know, not sure where he is. That's not fair. But he's he's in the basement of his home and he's he's um, 
He is uh, a self-quarantined or self-distanced. I don't understand this, by the way. If you ever run a presidential campaign, I've never run one, but I've, I've run other campaigns, you have the ability as the candidate to take control of what's happening. And it's very easy to picture Joe Biden saying to his campaign staff, hey, you know what, guys? Why don't we get a, a studio three miles from my house in a strip mall and set it up so I look like a president? Set it up so I actually look and feel like I, I'm not in a hostage video. Because he looks like he's in a hostage video and then he acts like someone who's not quite sure where he is so the effect is unbelievable and i don't understand and here i do understand here's what you need to take away from joe biden not caring enough to change the dynamic of what he's doing the reason why he's doing that is he's arrogant he doesn't think he has to work for it he doesn't think he has to change he thinks he's going to win because he's joe biden and he's supposed to win and he's been told he'll win and he's moving on. And look, I'm, I'm someone who predicted that Joe Biden would be out of the race within months of getting in because I didn't think he had the strength to do it. I thought his positions were out of touch. I thought he would get caught with all these uh, changed positions. He was for NAFTA. He was for TPP. He was for all these trade deals that Trump was against. He was for helping China get into the uh, most favored nation status in the World Trade Organization. All these things he was for. And I assumed he would be out of the race, but he's not because the establishment and the Democrats want him there and they want to prop him up. But I am sorry that Bernie Sanders supporters who thought they had a true believer at the helm of their movement and thought they had a chance to embrace something that they've been disappointed again. It's really surprising to me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really surprised. I thought that Bernie would go to the mat. I thought he would see the moment we were in and he would go all the way to the end and he decided not to. So now here's where we are. By the way, you hear that sound. I'm here in the, uh, in the, in the D.C. office of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and uh, you can hear outside some, they're working on the road, the corner uh, right in front of our building. So sorry if you're picking up on that sound. But and here's, here's where we are now, though. It's very important. Now we have the two candidates for the major parties are identified. We have Donald Trump and we have Bernie Sanders. Excuse me, we have Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And the two, those two candidates are set up. Now, has there ever been, can you remember a time, I guess four years ago was closest, but have you ever seen a two candidates who set up more as a choice and an echo? Joe Biden's not even a woman. At least in 2016, the Democrats who say they worship at the hyphenated American, the altar of the hyphenated American, at least they ran a woman. At least they tried to pretend that they were going to honor the hyphenation of their of their party. They're not even trying this time. It's an old white guy, Biden, whose positions have literally been on every side of every issue. He was against busing for segregation, for desegregation, then he was for it. He was against gay marriage, then he was for it. He was for trade deals, then he was against them. He was for, uh, pro, he was pro-life, then he was pro-abortion. He was for letting Clarence Thomas get through, then he was opposed to Clarence Thomas. He was against Anita Hill, then he was for Anita Hill. You go on and on and on. There's almost never been a candidate on the Democrat side who embraces the quintessential echo status. Just an absolute take any position, do anything, and be in power. And now he's grandstanding. I just recorded some commentaries. I do a daily three-minute commentary on about 450 stations across the country. And I did some, I recorded my ones for May, and I was re- remembering how, and, and quoting, Biden has announced he's going to name a woman as his vice president. He's going to name an African-American with the Supreme Court. He's just running down the list of hyphenated Americans. I'm sure he's going to announce that he's going to have the first transgender cabinet secretary 
He'll have this. He'll have that. The fact is this. He is a hostage to the establishment of the Democrat Party, which is the party of the hyphenated Americans. And it's not the party of we the people. It's not the party even of the Democrats. You see, the Democrat Party, if you're an African-American man, you're looking around going, it doesn't seem like everything's perfect for me, but I'm last on the list of the guys Joe Biden wants to help. So it's not going to work. And then you look over at Trump. Trump has taken on the media. Trump has taken on China. Trump has taken on the World Health Organization. We'll talk about that in a minute. Trump has taken on literally everybody. Does it mean he's perfect? No, doesn't mean he's perfect. Does it mean things are going to be easy? No, doesn't mean they're going to be easy. But he is as clearly, he's as clear a choice, of a, a, a fresh choice in American politics as we've ever had, ever. There's not anybody. Reagan wasn't like this. You know, even Goldwater, who was this sort of famous choice, not an echo, when Phyllis Schlafly wrote the famous book. Where is that book? It's, um, that was, that's not even, even Goldwater isn't as, uh, as dramatically. Here's the book. If you're watching on Periscope, there's the book. I'll hold it up again. Even, even uh, Goldwater is not as dramatically a choice as Trump is. So it sets up beautifully to quote a friend of mine, Kathleen Sullivan in Florida. She loves to use that phrase. It sets up beautifully, and uh, we'll see what happens now. And, uh, you know, now you can imagine, imagine in the Biden camp, now they have a, uh, the nomination sort of sort of sewn up. Now they have to put their guy out front. He's going to have to give speeches and question, answer questions. He's going to have to be out front. It's going to be a lot of pressure on that guy. I'm not sure he's going to be up to it, but we'll see. And again, if you watch on social media, and I hope you do, go to at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. If you're watching on Periscope, please share this with other people. But if you watch on social media, the Bernie supporters are mad. The Bernie supporters are doing more to identify why Biden is not a real choice for the Democratic Party, for the country. And I don't think that's going to change. I think you're going to see that. And I think people like Governor Newsom and Governor Cuomo and a few others are saying to themselves, yeah, let Trump do the second term. He'll have to deal with the tough economy. And in 2024, it'll be the Democrats' turn to shine. I'm sure that's what Cuomo and Newsom are thinking. I've been saying that for a long time. And so I'm sure Governor Whitmer is getting the same advice from her consultants. All right, we got a great show today and a lot more. We're coming in this holy week. I hope people are doing the best they can to get ready to celebrate Easter with their families. Uh, we'll get an update on things. And we've got uh, some news for our San Diego listeners on some of the promotions we're doing on some of the great work that Salem radio network hosts are doing you'll hear more about that later so we'll take a quick break and when we come back we got some great guests it's ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be right back ed martin and the pro america report on the answer san diego Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Our next guest, this is very interesting. It's about, I love this about, uh, there's a whole sort of network of people that help when you're doing a show like this. They help look out for topics and things. And I got an email from a friend of mine. He said, you need to have Jamil Jaffer on. Who's, he's over at the National Security Institute at George Mason University Law School, which I think is George, uh, is George Mason, is that the Scalia Law School now? Is that what it's called? It, or it am I getting the them, Scalia Law Okay, good. That's good. So thank you. So thank you for thank you for doing my fact check on the air. Uh, So and uh, he is also a former law clerk. He clerked for uh, Justice Gorsuch. He worked up on the Hill and the Senate side, the House side, worked in the White House. Uh, One of the good guys, I say people over here in the the swamp, there's lots of lots of bad guys, but there are lots of good guys, conservative guys that are working. But this topic that was interesting was the idea of spreading 
uh, information and misinformation, especially from China. And uh, and when you talk about national security, there's nothing sort of more basic than clearly than China. Right. This is the center piece of what are the threats. We're not really worried about sort of Cuba right now. We're worried about China. And so, first of all, welcome, uh, Jamil. How are you, sir? I'm good. Ed. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, let me ask you first as a broad question for our listeners. No, nobody, China didn't sneak up on the pros, right? You guys all knew the issues. The question now is maybe what, what and I don't want to look back much. Not, we don't need to say what didn't we do, but the question is, is going forward. I, and I'll just tell you a quick story. We got on a Zoom with some buddies of mine from college, and there's like ten of us, nine of us on, on the thing. It looked like the Brady Bunch. And one of the guys who I won't mention, he's, he does something with Army intelligence. And he, all he said on there was, you know, there's a million things going on in China. Always been, you know, for years now. And so how, you know, how big a threat is the question of China for us? I mean, we now know they have our medicine and all this uh, supply line, all these things. Uh, so, but how big a threat is it? Well, look, it's a huge threat. They are a strategic competitor to the United States. You know, you and I grew up in an era when it was the Russians, right? The big red threat. Yeah. Uh, they had nuclear missiles, the whole thing, right? The Chinese were always there looming in the background. But today, China is that threat. And they're not just a threat when it comes to national security, when it comes to weaponry, when it comes to their, their growing armed forces. They're also a threat economically, right? And you see that impact right now when we can't get ventilators, we can't get agricultural supplies, we can't get a lot of things because China's got the, the lion's share of the market. And it goes from medical supplies and medical equipment and drugs all the way up to computers, right? Uh, rare earth metals. They've cornered the market largely on rare earth metals, which are what we use to make the silicon um, and some of the key chips that we make for our infrastructure and for our computers and our devices. You know, most, most of us have iPhones or Android phones. Almost all those devices are made in China. And you think about what an impact that has potentially on our security and our privacy and, frankly, on our intellectual property, which is at the core of our economic success. That's a huge threat. Well, and so but and, and, and so what is the um, what are we to what are we to think about it? Right. I mean, we I, I was telling somebody this morning, one of our eagle leaders, you know, we have these great philosophical leaders. And by the way, we, again, we're talking about Jamil Jaffer and, and I'll put up on social media. It's inc- his bio is unbelievable. But more, I, I just because his bio is ridiculously impressive. But importantly, uh, George Mason University, which is a great university with a great law school, the Scalia Law School and uh, and his program. He's the founder and executive director of the National Security Institute. People need to check that out. But back to back to China. And, you know, what do we do about it? I mean, I said to somebody this morning, one of our eagle leaders, you know, they're grassroots leaders out in the country. And I was saying to them, you know, you have to convince Americans that you're going to pay more because you can't make it too cheap in China. And and there's got to be a mindset shift on that. I mean, you know, when you're sitting in the White House, I know you worked in the White House or you're up on a hill and you're watching businesses, they're going to act rationally. They're going to move towards, you know, making things cheaper and making uh, profits. So how do we change the mindset? That's almost as important as the the facts on the ground, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, you're exactly right. One of the challenges is that our our economies become so inextricably linked, right? We rely for so much of the products that we generate in the United States. You're right, at a very cheap cost, and that way we're able to get it cheaper at Walmart and all these stores we go to because a lot of the stuff is made in China, you know? And, um, right. and so you're right. It takes a mind shift here in the United States. But part of the challenge, I think, that we uh, we have we have a hard time sort of 
uh, embracing is that we've always believed in these idea of free markets and this idea that money should flow easily. And if, the, if there's lower cost of labor there, then great. And that's absolutely true. We shouldn't reject that free market idea, but we should also recognize that China's not a fair player in this marketplace. And that's really what I think President Trump and the team in the White House have really brought to bear uh, really right up front for us, which is China's constantly manipulating that marketplace. They regularly, as a government, steal intellectual property, right, the core, the crown jewels of our companies. They then take it back to China and give it to Chinese companies to manufacture for cheaper. So there's a reason why a Huawei router looks a lot like a Cisco router. It's because it is essentially a Cisco router that they built without having to do the expensive research and development that we have to do here in the United States. And that's part of the threat. And so it's great that the president's called that out. He's taken action in the, in the trade space. That has been expensive for us economically, but it's the right thing to do, and we've got to bring China to account for that. Now, the other challenge that we have, though, Ed, is that we've always thought that if we brought China into the world economy, that they would be better to their people, they'd treat their people more fairly, they'd become more of a sort of Western-looking nation. They'd become more democratic, more free. Turns out that hasn't worked, right? You look at yeah. what they're doing to Muslims in the, in the Xinjiang province, right, the Uyghurs. They have millions of people locked up in gulags, the modern-day equivalent yeah. of, 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 of Nazi camps, and it's happening, and, and the world is sort of not paying attention. It's a real problem, and they are not good actors in this space. Well, and, and, and now I want to slide over to, the, to, the, to, to one of the things that I, when I first was uh, intrigued to talk to you, again, we're talking with Jamil Jaffer, and, and he's over at George Mason University at the Scalia School of Law, um, is how China is able to move in, and, and, and others, but China is a topic now, with misinformation. Because it's, it's almost like China, they don't have to, you know, I mean, this is really simplistic. This is why you're a national security expert and I do radio. But, you know, if, if, you, could, if you could influence Edward R. Murrow 50 years ago to be sympathetic to your position, he would talk to a lot of people. Now, you don't have to really influence Anderson Cooper. You can, but you can go directly to people on Twitter and Facebook and through email and through, you know, all kinds of things. And my point here is they are, right? To think that China's not spending lots of money and lots of time trying to push misinformation, you'd be silly to think that they're sort of, they're just going to try to influence the senators or House members or Anderson Cooper. No, no, they're going to be pushing misinformation in every way they can. And they have more access to America than they ever have. Right. So how bad is that problem? And what do we do about that? Well, you're exactly right. And they're doing it in a variety of ways. One, they're doing it overtly. That means they're doing it in public. Right. So they're sending us supplies. They're making it plain to the world that they're sending us Jack Ma is sending us ventilators and, and N95 masks. Right. Um, Alibaba. Right. right. And they're doing it not just with us, they're doing it to the rest of the world, too. One of the most popular tweets last week in Italy, a close U.S. ally, was a tweet about China um, helping the helping the Italians out with their current coronavirus situation because the Italians helped the Chinese back a few years back when there was a big uh, a big a natural disaster and so you know, and that was one of the most mm-hmm. popular tweets from the Chinese embassy in all of Italy last week. So you think about it, wow. there's an overt messaging effort, but even worse and even more insidious, there's a covert messaging effort. Right? We've seen what the Russians did in, in the 2016 election, where they played both sides of the issue. They turned Americans against Americans and made us fight each other, right, in public, right, uh, by taking two sides of, of, of different issues here in the United States under the cover of being actual Americans. And you can bet the Chinese saw the lesson from that and are doing the same thing here today, that they are out there on Twitter, on Facebook, 
creating these themes. And, and the goal, again, is not necessarily to support somebody or support somebody else or to, or to take a policy position. It's really about creating discord and dissonance in our, in our body politic. And, you know, they're, they're very successful at doing that. The Russians have been, and, and, and the Chinese are going to be successful doing it, too. We've got an election coming up. I think you can fairly expect that a lot of countries are going to be looking at this and saying, huh, how do we mess with Americans, right? How do we make them less right. comfortable with their own government, less comfortable with, with, with what, what, what the president is doing, what other folks are doing? And there's a narrative they can play into that's taking place in the popular media already um, and that allows them to sort of exploit disagreements in the American body politic that exists today. Yeah, you know, and the only thing I'm, I'm out of time, but the only thing I'll have you back again, because the next question I want to ask is, I think we must do this to them, too. Right. I mean, I know we're meaning America's we're, we're, we're trying to influence China. Right. I mean, I guess maybe they're better at keeping us out and, and the same thing in other parts of the world. But uh, we're not actually we're not just we're not I, I got to think we're not taking it laying down in terms of our national security. But I got to run. I got I'll do it another time. We'll have you back on uh, Professor Jamil Jaffer. He's the founder and executive director of the National Security Institute over at uh, George Mason University, the School of Law, which is wonderfully named the Scalia School of Law. And uh, we'll uh, we'll have you on again, sir. We've got to run and we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is a longtime friend of mine, I have to say, a real friend. I tell people a lot of times, I say, so-and-so's a friend of mine. Well, this next guest, Dan Height, has been a friend of mine for a long time, probably 20 years, maybe more, in terms of in St. Louis and politics and all. He and his wife, and I work with his son now, too. So uh, he is an old friend of mine. But I left the house this morning uh, to come to do the show, and my wife said... Make sure to ask Dan where we all should go because our family didn't homeschool. We have our kids in schools and they're all home now and we're learning. And so our next guest is Dan Hyde. And Dan Hyde is the director of the Pillar Foundation, uh, which is an, a wonderful organization, a wonderful center in uh, St. Louis uh, that has all, around it all kinds of classes and events for homeschoolers, for Christian education. He himself is a teacher, uh, has taught for many years there, uh, Worldview Foundations, Christian self government, uh, lots of things, but also runs this organization, has a real heart for uh, young people. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly, my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, uh, counted on Dan to do a great leadership with young people and the Teen Eagles during, his, or during her time. And um, so welcome, Dan. How are you? Well, great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's good to be able to uh, visit with you. And uh, hopefully I can be of help uh, in some of these areas. We're in some uncertain times, aren't we? Yeah, we sure are. And it's great, though. I mean, I mean, it's great. It's a challenge. Lots of our fa- lots of our families are, you know, worried about jobs They're worried about, um, you know, income and losing hours. Uh, and also it's just a strain, right? It's uncertainty and strain. But I before I, I can't, you know, I gotta be careful, Dan, I can't I can get in trouble with my wife. So here's my here's my wife said, where where should you send newbies, new homeschoolers? For effectively, we're all sort of halfway homeschooling, even if your schools, public or private are doing lots, they're doing them online and all. So where do you recommend? What resources do you say, hey, if you're trying to figure this out, parents, these are the three or four places I send you? Sure. Uh, well, that's true. You know, you're coming down to the end of the school year here, traditional school year. Uh, with homeschoolers, a lot of times that goes all through the summer. Sometimes they get a break, sometimes they don't. But it's a little bit different animal with homeschooling than it is uh, uh, just trying to make up the difference uh, from being out because of a situation like what we're experiencing now. Um, 
it's uh, there are some great resources, uh, all kinds of resources actually that are out there uh, because of coronavirus. Uh, it's it's amazing, really, what's happened here. Uh, but let me just give a little bit for, for uh, people who have uh, just an idea. You know, we've got to get through here to the next school year or whatever. Hopefully, they'll kind of get interested in homeschooling because it's a great way to go. It really is. Right. Um, but I'll give you a couple of resources uh, just right off here. There's one that's called, are you ready for this? Coronavirushomeschooling.com. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that is, <laughs> wow. if you know uh, Sam and Kevin Sorbo out uh, yeah. in uh, California there, this is her uh, website. She also has a YouTube page, Sam Sorbo does, but they put this together with all kinds of interesting things uh, during this, uh, for this intermediate time. Uh, also, there's another great, great, great resource by a fellow that uh, uh, many people know in conservative circles, David Barton uh, and, and Rick Green, wallbuilders.com, wallbuilders.com, uh, and it's a slash. In fact, you'll see if you go to the website, uh, it's one of the banner things that move across the top there. You click on that. It's uh-huh. resource activities for staying in, and it's one of the most comprehensive lists I've seen anywhere. Uh, all the way from Library of Congress to, uh, you know, uh, things by all different kinds of academic disciplines in order, different kinds of disciplines, resources more than anybody could ever do. Uh, it's really, really excellent. Ancestry.com has things. Uh, a lot of these uh, curriculum organizations, curriculum printers and things, my father's world, MFWbooks.com have free downloads. Um, and so mm-hmm. there's all kinds of resources that are out there for uh, anyone, particularly those who are just a little hesitant, you know, they hadn't done this before. We've been involved with homeschooling and homeschooling families, actually, since uh, 1979 or 80, actually. Uh, so uh, I was youth pastor for many years and had many homeschool families, uh, several uh, there, which was kind of the beginning of what was happening here in Missouri, for sure. Uh, so anyway, great resources that are out there. We're talking with uh, Dan Height. And Dan, tell me, I'm sorry, the first one, just because I was trying to write all these down, coronavirushomeschooling.org, did you say? Is that what you said? Dot com. Dot com. Okay. C-O-M. Coronavirushomeschooling.com. And then wallbuilders.com, all one word, wallbuilders. Their resources for staying in. Best list I've seen. Uh, so yeah. that's really good. Very you, good. All right, now, now, Dan, we're talking again. We're talking yeah. with Dan Height, uh, and if you're in the St. Louis area, if you're listening, a lot of our folks are St. Louisans. The Pillar Foundation, you know it, but that website is thepillar.org. Uh, and um, uh, Dan, what about the mindset shift? I sound like a broken record. I, do, yeah. I use that phrase with a lot of my uh, listeners um, and a lot of guests. But the mindset for families suddenly, instead of your children, a lot of folks, right? Some are, some maybe are already homeschooling. It's not a change. But if you're in public school or in your private school. All of a sudden, your kids that were gone for six hours a day, now they're home, and you're trying to adjust the mindset into how to do it. What are some tips you have, and what do you, what do you tell oh. people? Because it's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it's a new thing. Sure. It's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of kids in the house. We have, we have four in our house. There's a lot of moving parts. It's uh, recess is chaotic. I, I, I try to get recess about every, every hour or so. But what are some tips? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, with uh, resources, uh, recess coming up. Uh, frequently, uh, no problem with that. Well, you know, when it comes to homeschooling, if you've been around for a while and understand uh, the gist of it, uh, you can accomplish in about three hours or a little over three hours what it takes a whole day to do in a public school, uh, just because of that one-on-one connection and being at home. But let me say, first of all, 
first of all and utmost, most important, be a family. Be a family. Uh, you know, you're a mom or a dad or a grandma, grandpa, whoever's doing this uh, together. You are a mom and a dad and a relative first and not a teacher. And that's okay. Do things together. Do everything that you're doing in there together. Talk talk about things. Uh, do chores together. Uh, consider uh, Life Skills 101 as a new unit study. You know, cooking is a great way to learn fractions and to feed your family as well. Uh, you know, put on mm-hmm. some music and sing. Read a book together. You know, books are better teachers than most of us. Uh, don't forget mm-hmm. to read fun books and new books. Read aloud together as a family. Pass the book around. Allow the, the older ones to help the younger ones if they're able to read. Uh, that kind of thing. Work out learning how to get along. This is what families are all about, and this is the ultimate in socialization, good kinds of socialization and relationships that you see in the family. Don't let this opportunity pass you by to get connected and to get closer with your family. You most, More things are going to be caught than they are taught, and that's good. That's the way God designed families, and that's why it's so important. So uh, you got to balance home business if you're teleworking with home ed. Uh, but don't squander this great opportunity, a great family building opportunity. Uh, and don't well, sweat the small a, stuff. Yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. Well, it's a, it's a great it's a, it's important to hear that. I'm glad I'm glad, I'm glad I had you on, especially th- this week. Uh, we're talking again with Dan Height. Dan, what about for holidays? I mean, holidays. I always tell people, I, you know, I grew up with my father. It was a small town judge, and and I hate to say this, but you'll know as soon as I tell you. He got more phone calls from the cops over sort of domestic issues during Thanksgiving and Christmas and and Easter Uh because, you know, Mm -hmm. the family family strain can be really tough. And and I I guess what's your advice on that? How do you how do you turn these challenges to opportunities? I I just you know, Easter's coming. It's a wonderful holiday for people. But it's also, uh, you know, most people aren't going to go to church the same way they did at all, perhaps. So that's a different challenge. Right. Well, that's true. Uh, you know, you got to think of your family first. You got to think of kids first rather than tasks first. Uh, that's so important. It's all about developing character uh, and competencies rather than just rote learning. So, uh, you know, to, to think to think about relationships and cultivating developing relationships. Yeah, people are cooped up in the house together. Uh, you take turns going outside and running around the yard. Right. Uh, I, I remember we used to have, you know, when he just when Ryan just wasn't in a uh, learning mode for some reason, he'd do a few laps around the house, you know, so he'd get ready, get yeah. his mind off, and get ready to go. You just have to kind of do those kinds of things. But you got to think family first. It's so important uh, to be able to do that. Rather, like I said, be family first and kids first rather than tasks first. I think that's one important thing and realize that everybody's under stress kids don't know what's going on younger kids even more so they don't really know you try and protect them you try and guard what it is you don't want them to be fearful even though some of us are fearful on the inside of what's going on uh it's a good way to develop your prayer life (laughs) you know when you're well it's 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 it's, yeah, it's funny you say that. Our, one of our kids, Michael, he he's the lap runner. Whenever he gets antsy, he gets sent on a lap. He runs down to the mailbox and back. I've noticed he's he's clocking <laughs> a lot. Go. The problem is he's the he's the thin guy anyway in our family. He's a thin little fast guy. He kind of thinks that he's like uh, it's kind of fun for him. A couple of other kids could use some laps. But anyway, all right, Dan. Well, thank you very much as as always, Dan Height. Appreciate your insight. Have a very happy Easter and uh, God bless you. And we'll put all this up on social media and uh, we'll have you on again soon. Thank you, Dan. Great. Well, thank you so much. Good to talk to you.
All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. We've all heard the official statistics put out by China about the Wuhan coronavirus. Despite their strong assurances, there's lingering suspicion that the communist Chinese government has not been candid about the spread of the disease within its own borders. Communist dictators have never been known for honesty or transparency. On the contrary, they have every reason to mislead the world about the harm that they cause. If free speech were allowed in China, then we could all learn from the Internet the full extent of the damage. Instead, we hear only what the communist Chinese want us to hear. While President Trump and Vice President Pence deserve credit for expertly handling the outbreak in the United States, they deserve more credit for warning against open borders. Trump's tariffs were a step in the right direction to reduce our dependency on the Chinese economy. Prior presidents were too scared to take similar steps. If they'd been willing to take action to protect American interests from the Chinese, it would have helped insulate us from this crisis. Free trade advocates never warned us about how their policies would subject the American people to health issues from cultures unlike ours. Unsanitary conditions at a food market in China caused our stock market to suddenly drop by thousands of points in the early days of the crisis. Think about the absurdity of something like this. Because people in China choose to eat cat, our citizens die. Multiculturalism is one of the favorite buzzwords of the left. They think no culture is better than any other culture. This is completely untrue. Don't misunderstand me. There's no person superior to another person. Every person has inherent value because each was made in the image and likeness of God. However, some ways of living are superior to others. Any culture that promotes unsanitary practices like eating cats and rats is inferior to our American culture. The Wuhan coronavirus should be all the proof you need. National sovereignty should insulate Americans from the plagues of other cultures. But open borders bring the problems of other cultures right to our door. Let's cut through the political correctness. Multiculturalism is deadly. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Those are two good guests. I hope you enjoyed them. Uh, Dan Hyde is a wonderful man. What a great guy. What a great leader. And uh, that Professor uh, Jamil Jaffer from over at GMU, the Scalia School of Law. Pretty cool. So go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com. Get these, uh, those tidbits as a, uh, as a podcast or track them down. You go to EdMartinLive.com and I'll send you an email. I'll probably have both of those interviews up tomorrow because uh, in my email because it goes out at 5 a.m. each weekday. You'll get it tomorrow morning. And I like those interviews. I like the topics, and uh, it's good stuff. All right, uh, let me finish here with a little drain the swamp. I've been kind of on a kick, right? I want to drain the swamp of some of these people that deserve to be drained. Um, 
But today, it's a kind of drain the who, drain the who, drain the who. The World Health Organization yesterday, the president uh, singled them out and said, we're going to cut off the funding to them. Why? Well, because we give them lots of money and we give them lots of stature because we're America. And then they go around and they basically carry water for China. And they don't only carry water for China, but they mislead us. And they're not very honest about it, not very nice about it. They're kind of unpleasant. And I think the president just got sick of it. Here we are going through this crisis and the World Health Organization is just not very helpful. And they get tens of millions. I think they get 35 or $50 million from us. I mean, they, and, and frankly, they get more than that because when we green light that we're for them, it allows uh, other nations, it, it invites other nations to go there too. It's kind of like you, you, you fo- they follow the leader and we're the leader. So President Trump said, we're going to cut that off. And I say, what took so long? I mean, these entities are, they, we just give them their money. It's like the Paris climate. Well, I know why it took so long. I'll tell you why it took so long. When the president came in and said, we're getting out of the Paris Climate Accord, they wanted us to give them a billion dollars or $2 billion. China was going to give them like $50 million or something dinky. And they were going to, basically, we were going to fund non-American bureaucrats being in charge of our lives in terms of climate, spending our money trying to tell us what we should do. They wouldn't have power over us, but they'd have our money to use against us. And the reason the president didn't get out of the World Health Organization is because you can't fight every fight. He, you can't fight every part of the swamp. You have to take them in pieces. And he was doing that. But I think he finally got sick of the World Health Organization being so unproductive. By the way, well, let me remind you of something, and I'll put it up on social media. In 2007, my, my boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, wrote a piece on how George W. Bush was setting up another one of these extra-constitutional, outside-of-our-sovereignty entities, this one with Mexico and Canada. They called it the Security and Prosperity Partnership. They had a summit in Canada, and they set up the North American Plan for Avian and Pandemic Influenza. They called it the Plan, with a capital P. And you can see this piece. Phyllis wrote about it. And they basically were saying, every third year, we would get control of the plan, But the other two years, a Canadian or Mexican would be in charge of our decisions about a pandemic. Think about it. It's bad enough that we have to have, you know, our governors, but they're our governors. That's the way the system works. Although I'm not having, I don't have a problem. I think they've actually done pretty good. We don't want a king. We don't want the president to be in charge of everything. But imagine that, you know, this is the problem with these entities. That's the same thing with the World Health Organization. And luck, and when when, uh, Bush started to do that back in um, 2007, he was opposed by Republicans like Duncan Hunter and some others, and they push back on that, thankfully. But here's the thing. It's time to continue that effort to drain the swamp. And that's what, and what I mean there is there's lots of people in, in Washington, in the swamp, that benefit from the sort of largesse of being the ones who are giving out money to all these things. We have ambassadors at large on this topic. We have State Department divisions and, and you know, uh, designated uh, deputy secretaries on that topic and on and on and on. It's time to drain the swamp of all those people. The World Health Organization, all those entities, the World Health Organization is a good emblem. It's a good example of the problem, but we got to keep moving on that. We got to keep moving on to the other ones. There's a, you can make a list. The UN is the place where most of these organizations are spun out of. And so you have these sort of UN affiliated Commission on Human Rights. That's one of them. You have this and that and the other. You have lots of different names for things. It's really terrible. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's just not right. You know, it's not all, um, when you say it out loud, 
they sound like um you know nice uh, ideas, you know, they sound they sound like um, uh, uh, you know um, things that you should care about. That's your sugarcoating it. They make it sound uh, like it's something nice, but it's a waste of our money, and we can't control it, and we can't do it. And especially when we come into this time period where we're going to have um, we're going to have more trouble coming back from this crisis, we got to cut our losses. We got to cut our losses. So there you are. Drain the swamp. Start with the WHO, World Health Organization, and move on to the next ones. All right. Uh, wrapping up, though, let me uh, say a word here. I, if you tune into Periscope, I do the, the first part of this show on Periscope. I do the uh, wink and a few others. But I also finish up by talking, excuse me, I begin before we go live talking about some prayer requests. People will ask me to do prayer requests. And I got this one referred to me. Um, it wasn't a prayer request as much as it was, did you see this? And it was the story of the, a police chief uh, in New York who served with distinction in Vietnam, uh, excuse me, and then a fire chief, not police. And he served at nine 11. He lost his son, uh, in the towers and he died of the coronavirus. He had been ill with some other things also over the years. Uh, but he sounded, he, his life was described as a wonderful life, prayerful man, lovely guy. His name was Al Petricelli and his wife, Ginger was quoted in the, in the, in the article and just sounded like that. They just sound like wonderful people. And, I, you know, there's a lot of families in this country and the world that are going to be grieving right now for loss. There always is, but it feels more palpable right now. And so we remember those folks in our prayers in a particular way. Uh, it matters. And so, you know, it's a, it's a holy week for a lot, a lot of people that are believers, uh, Christian believers. And, but there's also many who are grieving. So we keep people like uh, Chief Al Petricelli's uh, family in our prayers in a special way. I hope you will, too. All right, we got to go. We got to go. We want to thank Noah, our fearless technical director, for keeping everything online, uh, keeping us in line, and keeping everything going. And also Joanna and Ryan out of St. Louis who helped book the show. We will be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Thanks for listening. Talk to you then.